Do you know Martin Luther, the guy who pounded up the 95 theses on the door? Um, you know, the great reformer, the father of Protestantism, some say. Well, he once singled out his dog, Klutz, as the model for his theological inspiration, as Eric W. Goetz writes in The Wit of Luther. And this is what he said about good old Klutz. Oh, if I could only pray the way that dog watches meat, all of his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thoughts, wish, or hope. What a good boy. Now, Klutz wasn't the only source of spiritual inspiration for good old Luther. He also found the Psalms of the Bible, the section of poems and songs, provide a very much needed balm and mental relaxation from the hard church life for him. Martin Luther called the, spa, the, the Psalms, the entire Psalms and the whole, all of the Holy Scripture is dear to me only as my only comfort and source of life. Centuries later, the preacher Martin Luther King Jr. felt the same way about the good book. Yeah, in our story today that we showed in Time for All Ages, his big speech featured the words, um, we are determined to work and fight until justice runs down like, righteous, like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And that's straight from the prophet's Amos mouth to MLK's lips. So earlier in the service, we talked about the song Rivers of Babylon and Psalm 173. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this topic. Now, Babylon, it wasn't just any old middle of the place in the Bible. It was the New York City of the ancient world, packed with as much people, culture, and probably as many rats as New York City today. In this city, there were Phoenicians, Syrians, Elamites, Egyptians, Ionians, Israelites, all these people from different regions. Everyone who was anyone wanted to be there in Babylon. Of course, there are a lot of people who were there who did not want to be there, which we're about to hear about. So Babylon was the capital of one of the earliest empires. And so the guy in charge was pretty much used to getting his own way. Now, he had the most proto-wizard name in the Bible, I think. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't just take over the land of the Israelites. No, 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 no. That was not much. He, that was not enough for good old Nebuchadnezzar. He needed servants. He needed slaves. He needed everything from them. So he kicked everyone out, all the Israelites out, and he sent them all into exile into Babylon. Needless to say, the Israelites were not happy about this. And so they did what everyone does when they are sad. They cried, they wailed, and they wrote poetry about it. So I need some time machine power. Let's whoosh, using the power of our imaginations and the power of time, whoosh, we use our time machine to go back. Whoa, whoa, back to the rivers of Babylon. 
And we see a scene of refugees huddling up by the river, lamenting. What is lamenting? Does anyone know? Yeah, it's an old-timey word for weeping, crying, wailing. If you're lamenting, you're having a bad time. So let's hear the words for, the, for ourselves from the refugees. The psalm opens with this line. By the, river, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Then on the poplars, we hung our harps. So Zion is a hill in the city that became sort of a catch-all for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem in Judaism. So these guys are so sad about their situation, so homesick, that they have to sit down and cry. And the world feels like, feels like that these days. And they're so sad, they can't even think about, even thinking about music. So they hang up their instruments on the tree. But nah, not so fast, says Nebuchadnezzar. He wants everything from the Israelites, even their playlist. So the psalm goes on. For there our captors, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. To which the aghast Israelites reply, how can we sing the song of the Lord while in this strange land? So imagine this. You are forcefully kicked out of your home by people who destroy your streets and your temples. You are forced to go into a foreign land with strangers. And the very same people who kicked you out of your house demand you to sing the latest top 40 hit from Star 103.3. And it better not be emo, okay? It has to be cheerful. So you might just look at them like the Israelites didn't. Imagine the audacity. Wow. Yet, we know from human history, unfortunately, that this grim expectation of captives playing their captors' songs it isn't just fictional. Um, slave owners would whip slaves until they started singing in America, and musical abilities was listed as a selling point for people. There were also orchestras in Austria and beyond made up of Jewish musicians playing Yiddish songs for their captors, entertainment, and some of them were even forced to write new music. And we know that there have been reports of Ukrainian forces being forced to sing folk songs for the entertainment of their Russian kidnappers. It seems no matter what is going on, Humanity wants to jam. So, what do you do? What should you do in this situation if your home is utterly demolished and you're in captive, you're in captivity with your flute and the know how to play it and a really demanding audience? Do you acquiesce? Do you play your songs even though your heart breaks the entire time? Or do you sing the, your sacred songs of the temple that was just destroyed? Or do you remain silent? Keep your flute quiet, your voice silent and still? 
And to the Israelites, and probably to anyone else asked to perform at such a place in time, there's another layer to this question, which the theologian David W. Stowe writes about beautifully in his work, Songs of Exile, which really goes super deep into Psalm 137. And I want to quote him directly. Given the situation we find ourselves, this disturbing time and place, how are we expected to act? Given our obligations to Yahweh, which is the Israelites' name for God, how should we respond to our captors? Is there any place for sacred song in this audience of people who manifestly do not wish us well? Note on the first person plural. This is a collective challenge through and tr through. So Psalm um, 137 has eclipsed its original writing as this poem. It has become the balm of millions beyond walls and times of Babylon because the experience of exile, the experience of being powerless in an oppressive system, the experience of heartbreak, of misery, when you lose your home are not contained, unfortunately, to Bronze Age. The, the human experience of suffering at the hands of un, other humans is very common in history. Now this psalm has been count, set to countless pieces of music, operas, and dramas. It was even in Bad Men. Um, what was Babylon for ancient Israelites today is an oppressive regime. In the early Christian tradition, Babylon became a term for Rome and its regime. And then later on, when St. Augustine comes around in the Middle Ages, uh, Rome is gone, but Babylon still served as an archetype for the vices that a life of sin will tempt you into. Now, Frederick Douglass, the anti-slavery advocate, he saw Babylon as the American system of slavery. And it's here that we get to our more modern, my more modern interpretation of Babylon. Babylon does not liberate. Babylon subjugates. Babylon is every system of oppression that makes it hard for us to do the works of our heart and spirit. Babylon is here and now. It's anything that takes us away from Martin Luther King Jr.'s great dream of beloved community. Beloved community draws people in. Babylon repels it and makes it a very strange land. Methodist minister Joseph E. Lowry, a colleague of Martin Luther King Jr., said, says it best. Any society blessed with resources aplenty and yet endures homelessness and encyclical poverty is a strange land. Any culture that chooses violence over nonviolence, war over peace, military rather than diplomatic solutions is a mad strange land. So we are in these mad strange lands, my friends. What do we do? What do we do when in Babylon? When in Babylon, the world tells us to sing our songs when we'd rather cry or scream or weep or do anything else. So how do we sustain our hearts in a broken and breaking world? So here's what I say. I'm just one voice, but I say sing. And not for our captors, not for the the horror and the badness and everything that is surrounding it. Not for the entertainment, not to celebrate this strange land, but we sing for each other, 
to sustain us, to keep us going. Because MLK, he knew that the road ahead was not a short one. After his walk to Selma, Martin Luther King Jr. preached, and I'm going to quote him in full because it's worth it. He said, last Sunday, more than 8,000 of us started out on the mighty walk from Selma, Alabama. We have walked through desolate valleys and across trying hills. We have walked on meandering highways and rested our bodies on rocky byways. Some of us' faces are burned from the outpouring of the sweltering of sun. Some have literally slept in mud. Our bodies are quite tired and our feet are somewhat sore. But today I stand before you and think back to the Great March, and I can say, as Sister Pollard said, a 70-year-old Negro woman who lived in this community during the bus boycott, and one day she asked why walking if she didn't want to ride. And she said, no. And the person said to her, well, aren't you tired? And her, with her ungrammatical profundity, she said, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. And in a real sense, this afternoon, we can say that our feet are tired, but our souls are rested. So we know what Sister Pollard knows, that this work of justice, this work of dismantling Babylon brick by brick, is hard, exhausting work. But it's work that makes the soul sing. It's work that feeds you and connects you to the greatest story ever told, which is the human story. So sing for yourselves. Sing for each other. Sing for what makes your heart sing, and sing to live to sing on another day. I want to share with you one last story about By the Rivers of Babylon. Another band which you may or may not heard of, depending on your generation, is Boney M. So Boney M's cover of By the Rivers of Babylon was even more popular, and it gave the song worldwide success. Now, most of Boney M's members have sadly passed on, but as of 2010, the singer, Maisie Williams, still performed concerts. Now, she had a very particular concert in a very particular place. It was in July 2010 in the de facto center of the Palestinian National Authority, the West Bank city of Ramallah, which is about seven or six miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, this place is off limits to Israelis who aren't checked in on the way back but could face arrest, interrogation, on the way out, crossing back into Israel. So all these folks, they sang to Ra Ra Rasputin, and they sang, and Maisie sang uh, Bob Marley's No Woman, No Cry. And a reporter named Yuval Abenami, who snuck over the crossing just for the show, said there was one major disappointment about the concert. It was great, but there was one problem. Babylon was not sung. He said, I can only assume that the festival organizers banned it for the fear of Zion, as in Zionism, would offend the audience. Sometimes deeper meanings are lost on people. The crowd chanted Babylon harder than it chanted everything's going to be all right, but to no avail. On December 28, 2023, Israeli forces attacked and occupied Ramallah. I feel the people of Ramallah and Palestine understands Psalm 173 at a cellular level, this forceful exile. And yet they keep on singing, and their stories are traveling all over the world through social media. Their songs are going on. This journey is not for the faint of heart, my friends. And we know that MLK said that we must be brave. 
And what do they say about Rome? Well, Rome wasn't built in a day, and nor will these systems of oppression come down instantaneously like the walls of Jericho. We are together, side by side, in this journey to build beloved community here on earth. Brick by brick, inch by inch, love by love, hand in hand. We know this journey for all, for a fair and free world for all is long. But we know we're on this journey together. May it be so.